You're listening to Faith Assembly of God Online, a recording of our weekly service. Thanks for joining with us, the place where hope and reality converge. If you have your Bible this morning, John chapter 17, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. Some of you are stuck right there. That's not working out too well. How many have found out in life some things are not meant to just be told, they're meant to be shown? Some things aren't just meant to be told or spoken, they're meant to be shown. And when you're happy, it's one of those things that if you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. You can't prove to somebody, I'm happy. Prove it. Some things aren't just meant to be spoken. They're not meant to just be told. It's meant to be shown. This morning we continue our series as we've been looking at Full House. And our goal is establishing homes that are filled with the presence of God. To establish homes that are full of the presence of God. We want a house here as Faith Assembly, a body of believers. We want this house to be filled with the presence of God. But this house will be affected by our houses. This house is affected by our houses. And as our homes are filled with the presence of God, as we create atmospheres where the presence of God is welcome and invited in our homes, it will flow and develop and will impact our world. We want God's blessings. But if we want God's blessings, we've got to be people who are intentional to create an atmosphere where God's presence is welcomed. If you want his blessings, then welcome his presence. You cannot have the blessing of God without welcoming or setting an atmosphere that would welcome his presence. This morning, I want to share a message with us as we continue this Full House series, simply titled this, A Public Display of Affection. In John chapter 17, if you have your Bibles, looking at this scripture, Jesus is, is, is uh, uh, presenting a prayer. Now, this, I believe, is what we ought to call the Lord's Prayer. But if you've been around church and you, you know about the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, some of us, uh, would, would, uh, we know the Lord's Prayer as, as a prayer that we've memorized and become a help for us to pray. But I believe that is better called the disciples' prayer, not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord Jesus taught us how to pray, and he said, this is how you pray. And it became the disciples' prayer, really, because we know that because Jesus, in that, he prayed. One of the things that he prayed and taught us how to pray is forgive us our sins or our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass or sin against us. How many know Jesus didn't need any forgiveness because he never sinned? How many know that? This wasn't the Lord's Prayer. That's not the Lord's Prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. We're the ones who pray, God, forgive us as we forgive others. Help us to be forgiven and help us to forgive others around us. But this prayer here in John chapter 17, I believe would be appropriately called the Lord's Prayer. Jesus has just been talking to his disciples in the chapters previous, and he's telling them that he's going to die. There's a plan that's in place that he would die, and after dying, he would rise again. And as he's talking to them, he tells them the importance of, his, of him going because he says that when I go, the Holy Spirit will come, that God will send the Comforter. And then in chapter 17, what we're going to be, uh, we're going to be reading here, Jesus goes from talking to his disciples to now talking to God in front of his disciples. He goes to a prayer, and here's what it says in John 17, looking at the first verse. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the time has come. 
He's recognizing that there's a time. And what I want you to catch here this morning as we're looking at the Lord's Prayer is I want you to see the intimacy that Jesus is setting forth. He's praying a prayer and John is capturing it and John is taking note and he's preparing this so that he can pass on to the disciples and to us today that he wants us to know what is in the heart of Jesus. And what I want you to capture today is his love and his passion for God and for the church. That we can hear these words, but I want you to hear what it is that's inside of them, of how deep his love is, how much he desires, what it is that he's wanting to express, and what it is that he's wanting to show, the intimacy. Jesus, of course, allowed that love to go public, and he, he expresses it here in John 17. He says, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone in all the earth. He gives eternal life to each one here on earth that you've given him. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one who you sent to earth. How many know salvation is simple? It's so simple a child can do it. It's so simple that the only way you can really get to heaven is with a faith like a child. That we believe on the one who sent him and the one who was sent. That we believe on Jesus Christ. He says that that is the way to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one who you sent to earth. Verse 4, I brought glory to you here on earth by doing everything you told me to do. Recognize that Jesus is prophesying because he hadn't yet done what God had sent him to do, and that ultimately is to die on the cross. But Jesus, how many know that even before it happened in the natural, Jesus had already made the determination in his spirit? He had already willed, he said, I'm doing it. He said, I've already done it. I've already made the decision. I want you to know that before you can do something great for God, you first got to make the decision. You're going to do it. You cannot accomplish something in your doing until you've accomplished something in your decision. Jesus is saying here, I've already done it. The act has not been carried out, but I've already made up my mind. I've determined in my heart. I've made the decision. I am going to finish the work that you've sent me to do. Jesus says here, he says, while on this earth, I'm doing everything you told me to do. In verse 5, and now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Jesus is saying, I'm ready to come back home. I'm ready to come back where this all started, and I don't even know how it started, because how many know God never started? He always was, and I can't figure that out. That'll just drive us all crazy if we try to understand that right now. But he was, and he always will be. Jesus said, I'm ready to go back. I'm ready to go back to the glory, back to the place I want you to flip over, turn the page, go down wherever it is, verse 20. I want you to look at verse 20, and Jesus continues here. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for those, for all who will ever believe in me because of their testimony. My prayer for all of them is that they will be one just as you and I are one. Father, that just as you are in me and I am in you, so they will be in us. The intimacy, the the desire. He's saying, I want them to be one. Not one just so it can look orderly, but one so that it could be productive. That it might be able to produce. That something one. You could look at at a vehicle and that vehicle is one. They're different parts, but it's made up of different parts and they become one. It creates one vehicle, one car. That in our lives, that we would be the parts brought together to create the one, the work that God wants to accomplish. It's not one so we can all just sing kumbaya and get along. He doesn't want us to be one so that we can just learn how to overlook each other's issues and get along with each other and just put up with each other. 
He doesn't want us to just be one so it can look good. He wants us to be one so that we can produce good things. He wants good things to come forth. It's not just good so everybody can say, oh, isn't that nice how they get? They're just one happy family. They just get along and they're just so nice. He doesn't want it to just be one so that we can look good. He wants us to be one so that we might produce good deeds and they might see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. He wants the one that isn't just, well, we all get along. He wants the one that says we're in one mind, one heart, one spirit. We're producing and developing and working so that God's glory might be produced in our lives. You're a part of the one. Look at your neighbor and say you're part of the one. You're part of the one. We're part, not just to get along to make it look good, but that we might do good works unto God. Can you say amen to that? I want you to catch that. Because it's easy for us to allow just unity and a oneness in our heart to just be something we adopt to make it, well, everything looks good. You can sweep a lot of things under the rug and call it one, and it looks good. You can, you can, you can overlook and tolerate and just get through stuff, and it looks good, but you're not producing good. You're looking good, but you're not developing or you're not producing good things. You're not, you're not causing good things. He doesn't want us to just be one so that we look good. He wants us to be one so that we might produce good works that would bring glory to the Father in heaven. He says this prayer, I want them to be one. And notice on, he says, that just as you are in me and I am in you, so they will be in us and the world will believe you sent me. Verse 22, I have given them the glory you gave me. Whoa. I know we can read that, but I don't think we really get that. How many would admit with me this morning and say, Jason, I hear it, I believe it, I see it, but I don't get it. How many would admit to say, I'm not sure I completely understand. that He says, I've given them the glory that you gave me. Wow. That's, that's big stuff. He goes on, he says, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, all being perfected into one. Then the world will know that you sent me and will understand that you love them. Listen to this. You love them as much as you love me. What? Did you hear that? God, I want them to know that you love them just as much as you love me. How many know that God the Father loved Jesus Christ the Son? We know that. But how many are still working on understanding and believing and developing confidence that Jesus or that God loves me the same way he loves his son? That's overwhelming. That he loves me to the level of his son. Listen, I've got to be honest with you. I love you. I'm not sure I love you as much as my son. I, I love you, but I don't know that I love you as much as, I mean, I've done things for him that I wouldn't do for just anybody. I love him and I love you, but the love I have for you doesn't compare to the love that I have for him. But here God says, I've displayed my glory in such a way that the same love I have for my son is the love I have for him. Why? Because there's a connection between the son and the church. Some of us understand that. We'll get that, but we're going to look at that. He loves us with that same love. He says, I love, or that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want those or these whom you've given me to be with me so they can see my glory. You gave me the glory because you love me even before the world began. Father, we acknowledge today we don't understand all this. 
So Lord, we're not going to try and make sense of it. We just ask God, give us a glimpse that can impact us and change us. Lord, we don't want to understand it all. We just want to know it better. God, we know that we'll never understand your glory or see it completely until we see you in heaven. But God, help us to grasp today, God, just a bit more so that we can allow your love, your glory, your your display of affection to be carried out in our lives and in our homes. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. amen. Some things aren't meant to be told, they're meant to be shown. I'm proud that I grew up in a home that even to this day, my parents in their public display of affection still grosses me out. <laughs> my mom and dad will kiss on any moment at any time. It, she'll just go walking by and he'll just simply give her the look. She'll give him the look and they just kiss. And my kids, we've all, I, I grew up with it. So it's like normal to me. But my, I remember our kids saying, boy, mom, mama and papa sure love each other. How many know that's a good thing? It's research has been shown that, that in homes where affection is freely shown, that where affection is given, that it produces confidence in, in younger children. Those who come in that home, it causes confidence when there's homes that are filled with affection. Love isn't something that was meant to be told. It's meant to be shown. You should say it without a doubt, but there's something beyond with it. There needs to be a display of affection in our lives. That when that confidence, that it produces a confidence that in our lives, when we watch that, it's a child. When a child knows that his mom and dad or or their their mother and father are in love, it creates a sense of confidence in their hearts. Some of us today, we don't have the confidence of what it is to know that we're loved by our father. Something happens that when you have confidence, it causes you to be able to go about with, 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 with a confidence indeed, but knowing that we can be confident that he loves us, that he's for us. The Bible says in 1 John that perfect love does what? Perfect love casts out all fear. And if you have fear, it's because you're afraid of punishment. And if you're afraid of punishment, it's because you've not received the love that comes from God. But if you receive the love that comes from God, you can stand confident on that day. And it develops a confidence in us that when I stand before God, I'm confident that his love for me is not because I've done these things. I went to this church. I accomplished these things. But I stand before him and he looks at me and he says, you are confident. You can be confident because my son died on the cross. You believed on him, and because of the work of Jesus Christ, it produces a confidence. The public display of affection that he gave me on the cross causes a confidence to come into my heart so that I can stand before God on that day with a confidence to know that I will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest, not because of what I've done, but because I've received the work of the one who did what needed to be done in my life. Are you thankful for the work that's been done in your life? Only because of Jesus Christ. That's the confidence that I have. See, but when you have love, it casts out all fear. It's the same in a home. But when there's an affection, when there's a display of affection, it causes a confidence. It causes something that can develop. I told you. Doesn't work as well as let me show you. You know how the conversations go, and we had it in our home uh, not too long ago where uh, someone said, well, I told you, and they said, well, I don't remember you telling me, but I did tell you. How many know all we did when all we say is I told you, it causes an isolation. But the moment we're able to say, let me show you, it causes an incorporation. When we begin not to, not to line up with I told you or what I said, but now it's let me show you. I want to display. And there becomes a showing that when we do that, it becomes an incorporation, not an isolation. And what Jesus is saying here, he says, Father, I want to incorporate them. Our desire is to incorporate your people 
incorporate your body, your church, into the work that we're doing here. We're not the byproduct of what God is doing in the world. We are the means and the work that, through which God is working. The church isn't just what Jesus is coming for on his way to glory. We will reign in glory with him. We are a part of the work that he set in motion. We're not his second thought. We're his first thought. Can I tell you how I know that? Because Jesus said, Father, I'm ready to go back to where I came from. I'm ready to go back to the glory that we had from the beginning of the world. How many remember that? We read it in the scripture. We just read it today. He said, Father, I'm ready to go back. And then what he says there, he says at the end, and the, the scripture that we read, he said, I want them to go with me so that they can see your glory. I want them, notice this, Jesus already had glory in heaven. But he left glory in heaven so that he could come and take us with him. Some things are good, but they're even better when you have someone to share it with. Have you ever had that moment where you said, man, I got to tell so-and-so. I got I to tell so-and-so. And then you, you have the experience and you go and say, hey, let me tell you what happened. Then you begin to tell them and they're like, not as excited as you were about what just happened. And then you end it with, well, you just had to be there. How many know what I'm talking about? That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, there's such a love and such a presence. There's such a joy. And I want you to know it. I want you to experience. I want to tell you. I want to show you. But the reality is, you'll never fully know it until I come back and get you and take you to where I am. Because I want you to see, there's a glory that I had. But here's what he says. I love you so much that I came. I left my glory that I might come and share my glory with you. That's how much he loves you. Somebody, oh, that's nice. That's good. Can we, are we done yet? We got to a good sermon what we preach about the lord loves us that's good but i don't know if we we completely understand and allow ourselves to capture what it means that he loves us he he left glory and he loved you so much that it's almost like he would say to his father father this is great i love this and this is good we're up here in heaven we're ruling this is so cool but this isn't complete yet until we go and get the bride and I can't wait to show, because it will be altogether fitting and better and complete the moment I go get my bride and bring her here to let her see and share in this glory because then it will be complete. Man, to think how much he loves me. You see, there's a reason why Jesus is saying this, this picture, and I want you to catch this today. He, he, he's saying, I want to show you. I don't want to just tell you. I want to show you. I want to bring you along. There's a description that speaks of God's, uh, of God's holiness, and, and the best we can describe it. Here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 6. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his John Piper brought this out and he says this, that he, you would expect that holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is filled with his holiness. But it doesn't say holiness. It says the whole earth is filled with his glory. Now you and I have to recognize we sing about his glory. We talk about his glory. We even pray asking for his glory. But let's all be honest. We have no idea sometimes what glory really means. We say it, we hear it, we talk about it. And I don't think we can fully comprehend it. We're not going to be able to fully know what God's glory is. But I like this description. Here's what he says. He says, The glory of the Lord is the manifest beauty of his holiness. It is the going public of his holiness. I like that. It's the going public of his holiness. It's the way he puts his holiness on display for people to recognize and for people to comprehend that the holiness of God, how do you see the holiness of God? I don't know how to see it, 
but it's revealed in his glory. And let me tell you, the whole earth is filled with his glory. The design that God has created, the work that God has done, when these leaves begin to change in the next couple of weeks, how many know that's an indication of God's glory? That's the work of his hand, the beauty of his work and what he's done. I think one of the ways that we can describe glory is by calling it heaven's currency. It's like heaven's currency that, 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 that like you work and you get money and when you get money, you don't work just to get money. You use money, your abilities cause you to earn money so that you might produce something with the money. You recognize that it's the glory of the Lord is like the currency of heaven. How many would love to have $100? Anybody want $100? Anybody want $100? I saw a hand go up over here first. You want $100? You, you would do something with $100? I want to give you $100 right there just because you had a desire. How many know there's a God who says, hey, if, I, if you want, there's a God who has, anybody else want $100? Who wants, sorry, I don't have any more. That's all I've got. But you recognize, listen, there is a God who has more than enough. And what he says, I'm giving you something that I have. And you could look at that and you say, man, Jason gave me a hundred bucks. And you could sit on that hundred bucks. But if all you ever did was put it in your pocket and sat on the hundred bucks, that hundred bucks would not produce anything. I didn't give you a hundred bucks just so you could hold it. I didn't give you a hundred bucks just to sit on it. I gave you a hundred bucks that you might put it to work, that it might use, that it might go towards an effort and produce something. Let me ask you, the Bible says that God has given us his glory so what are you doing with it what are you doing with the glory that God? it's the currency of heaven that he's put his glory in us and I want you to know today he wants his glory back I don't want the hundred dollars back I honestly gave it to you I want you to put it to work and you do something good with it you can take me out for steak or something like that would be wonderful no. it's the currency of heaven it's what he does God has given us the Bible says I gave them my glory I just feel like right now I just got to sit down and just let myself be overwhelmed the way I feel on the inside of what it is that God has done for me. He's given me his glory. He's given me a part of what he's experienced in heaven. And he says, here's what, here's what he says here in, in this glory. And, and what I want you to catch is that God's glory is something to be on display and that he wants his glory, the desire back. It's the currency of heaven. John 17, one says, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. Verse 10, it says this also. He says, and all of them, since they are mine, belong to you and you have given them back to me. So they are my glory. He's talking about you and I, the church. He's talking about the currency, his glory that he's given us so that we might make his glory known. How many know that when we make the glory of God known, it becomes attractive to other people. It allows other people to see the glory and the fullness and the greatness of God that we display who Jesus Christ is. I want you to see why this is so important as he's talking about the church because Paul makes this connection. Look, look what he says in Ephesians chapter five. Paul makes this connection for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present back to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands, ought your love be for your wife as for your own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself it's displayed we are all members of one of, of of one body and here's what he's saying he's telling us 
that Jesus loved the church so much that he gave himself for her. Can I tell you why marriage is under attack? Because the enemy wants to destroy the image through which God has shown his glory. Because the picture we have here is that there is a bridegroom. There is a groom and his name is Jesus and he's coming to get his bride. And the picture, the best picture we have of, of, of Jesus being one with the Father, the Father being one, the best picture we have on this earth is marriage. The union of a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, a bride and a groom is the best picture we have. God designed that and put that together to show the beauty and the ability of what it is bringing together a husband and a wife that in that relationship it develops and causes such a oneness that it becomes a picture on earth of the oneness of God in heaven and what he wants to do how many know that the enemy wants to taint and wants to destroy marriage that wants to cause it to be a dumbed down effect of where the relationship between a husband and a wife is something that is not sacred not beautiful not something that is cherished but becomes normal and trampled on and sometimes just made up in its own desires and called in its own ways whatever it wants to be but God has called that to be a picture of what is taking place in the heaven it's an under attack because there's a glorious bride that he's coming back for you might be here today and there's some things that when it comes to a public display of affection when i talk when i when i say that husbands your wives need to know you love her wives your husbands need to know they love you my kids as they were young they were they were little and i would say to them i'd say ask sometimes not out of insecurity just out of i enjoy the affirmation I would say to them, do you love me? And they would get all big eyes and smile. Yes, I love you. And they were, they're little kids and they just come and they grab a hold and they, they kiss and they do all that. The older they get, I asked Jaron, hey, do you love me? You know I love you. Now, I realize the affection isn't quite the same, but when they were little, I want to ask you, sometimes we've allowed our, our expression in the way that we grow. We forget that love is not something you grow out of. It's what you grow into. Love isn't something, if you express love in that way, it, you at least better be continuing to express love. Y'all just got married yesterday, and that was the wedding I got to do yesterday. So congratulations to the Leap Lines, who are one day married and in church this morning. I'm going to be in trouble for doing that. I apologize. I only do that to my friends, so uh, I just put you on the spot like that. But uh, one day married, and man, love isn't what you want it to be something you grow out of. You want the best days to be the days that are ahead of you. That you live your life to honor God and, and, and in each other to experience that expression. That it's what you grow into. But sometimes as we get older and even in our lives with Christ. Today you might not look at this. You, say, you might not be married. I realize that. Not everybody here is married. But I want to look at this at least from the aspect of not just marriage. But from the aspect as well of are we being the bride that is ready for the groom. Now, guys, I know this doesn't sound too manly. <laughs> uh, we're the bride. We're part of the bride. And uh, it uh, doesn't seem to, but it, it works in the way God has put stuff together. We're part of the church. He's coming for the bride. Are we a bride ready for our groom's coming? Are we ready for him to come, the king to come, a readiness? How many would say, I want the glory of God in my midst? I want the glory of the Lord to be displayed in my midst. Let me give you a couple things this morning that for us to see the glory of the Lord displayed in our midst, it's a place that we need some public display of affection. 
that becomes a, a part. And I want to I share this with you just this morning, that we would be the bride and a readiness, that we would have the confidence to know who we are in Christ and a readiness for His return. Here's number one. Jesus said it's time. The time has come. Glorify your Son so that He might give you glory. Give glory back to you. Number one is this, that it's time to go public. It's time to go public in our relationship and in our, in our walk with God and our love with God. Now, you can apply that to your marriage, to husbands and wives, but I want to look from the aspect of us being the bride of Christ, that as a bride of Christ, have we allowed our love for him to be a public display or have we said to God, when Jesus says, do you love me? You know I love you. What did Jesus say to Peter? Then go feed my sheep. It's connect, show me. Don't just tell me. It's connected with something that you're called to do. Let me ask you, are you doing what God has called you to do? Is there a public display of your affection? Is your relationship with Jesus Christ something that you've allowed to become, to, to become displayed? Something that you've allowed to become a part of your mark and of your life? Are you allowing yourself to display the glory of God. You might know the scripture, and if you don't, it's found in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. You can jot that down. But listen what it says. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. You've heard the scripture. Some of us may have heard it, but it's in essence. It's saying this. Jesus is saying, if you, if you acknowledge me, if you acknowledge me on earth then I'll acknowledge you before God. Some translations say confess. If you confess me before man, then I will confess you before the Father. The root of that word confess means two parts. It's two words put together. And here are the two words, to speak on behalf of. That when God acknowledges you and I, he is speaking on our behalf. He is acknowledging us before the Father. I know we've used that scripture to say at an altar call, and it's appropriate. But that's a small part of what that picture means. That we would say that if you want to acknowledge God today, come forward. That if you acknowledge God publicly, that if you acknowledge God publicly, he'll honor you and acknowledge you before God. That is true, but that's a small part of it. Here's what that scripture is saying, though, in the heart of it. He says, if you acknowledge me publicly, then I will acknowledge you you in heaven. I will speak on your behalf. What is Jesus doing? He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Doing what? He's making intercession for you and I. Here's what Jesus is saying. You want your prayer life to go to another level? You acknowledge me on this earth because I'm seated right, seated right beside the Father and I can whisper on your behalf. I can speak on your behalf. I can go on your behalf. I can say, God, on behalf of this child, there needs a work. And here's what he's saying. If you acknowledge me publicly. You know what that means? That means, God, I'm living my life, and in this situation, I want you to receive glory. Jesus is up, up in heaven, and he's saying, God, here's an opportunity for you to display your glory. There's a child of yours who's public with their faith. They're public to let you be glorified. And God says, oh, if it's about glorifying my name, you better believe it. You can speak on my behalf, because I'll pour out the glory, and I'll pour out the work so that my name might be glorified. When you come in line with God. You allow that. When you acknowledge him publicly, that scripture is a scripture of prayer. Yes, it's a scripture of living our lives out loud. Absolutely. But how many know Paul said this? Pray without ceasing. It's a lifestyle of prayer. When I'm living my life to say, God, I want you to receive glory publicly. I want my life to publicly display your name. I want to publicly declare the glory of God in my life. Jesus seated at the, seated at the right hand of the Father who's making intercession said, hey, hey, Father, 
There's a child of yours down there and he's publicly declaring your name. He's publicly positioned himself so that you might get glory. And God says, oh, if it's about my name being glorified, you better bet I'm gonna pour it out because I want my glory to display who I am. We've gotta be people who are going public, that we live it out in a public way. Hide it under a bush. Oh no, I'm gonna let it shine. This might seem so simple, but not in arrogance or obnoxious, not being obnoxious, but making it obvious that we trust in the Lord. Put your sign away. Quit fighting for stuff that you think is something you're called to fight for. Put the sign away. Lift up the bloodstained banner of Jesus Christ. He didn't say pick up your sign and go pick it somewhere. He said take up your cross and follow me. He didn't say go make an argument and tell somebody that they're condemned and going to hell. He said pick up the cross. If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. Quit doing something I didn't call you to do. Do what I've called you to do. Make known my glory and live my life or live the life I've called you to do. Be public in the work that God has called you to do. To live it out every day. Dads in our homes, are we public in our faith with Christ? Do our, does our family know that we publicly live for Jesus? Or is it just what we do on special occasions? My mom and dad, they gross me out. Dad will still kiss mom. I remember when I was a kid and dad would come up, he would preach and dad would come up to the, uh, the front and he would always pass mom. It was the church in Gettysburg where we were and, and even in Littlestown. And on his way up, he would stop and give her a kiss. And I remember thinking, in church? Supposed to do that at home. I mean, it's bad enough you're doing it in the kitchen. Now you got to do it in church. I remember being little. But I'm glad my parents taught me something in life. And here's what it is, because sometimes we've adapted that to our walk with Christ. But we just do that in church. Everything I do in public, I do in private. When I raise my hands in public, it's because I've had private moments that I've raised my hands. But if the only time I ever do something in worship is when people are around, then that worship might not be for God. I don't speak in tongues just because there are people around. I don't do what I do because someone's around. The only time I've, anything I've ever done in public is because I've done it in private. Whatever I've done in public, it's because I've done it in private. And you'll catch that. That's in the positive, but it's also in the negative. That you adapt that same way. That you adapt in those, that same occurrence. That whatever, it always starts in a private place. And then all of a sudden, somehow confidence builds up and there's a void. And what used to be behind closed doors had now become out in public. Why? Because it always begins at a place when we try to fill, to fill a void. We try and find purpose and meaning. Yes, there's attack. Yes, there's perversion in our, in, our, in our society. Yes, all of that is there. But the greatest hindrance is not that perversion has risen up, but that righteousness has stepped down. It's not that perversion has risen up, it's that righteousness has not been to a place where it ought to be. I've said it this way. You can complain all you want because the sun or darkness has occurred, that you can complain all you want in, what in the world is that? That was special. (laughs) 
Okay, let's pray. Father, I have no idea what this is. Dark, the phone just saying amen. That's all it is, yeah. When, when darkness seems to be great, it's not because darkness is greater. It's because the source of light has gone into hiding. When the sun goes down, darkness didn't become greater. The sun gave way to darkness. The sun was hidden. The sun was put into place. I'm saying to us, church, it's time for us to be called out. It's time for us not in arrogance or obnoxiousness, but in being obvious with confidence that we stand up and we proclaim the hope and the truth of who it is and what we have in Christ. I want to close with this. Let me say this. Number one, it's time to go public. Number two, it's time to be productive. The enemy wants to destroy anything that is meant to produce. Jesus said this, glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. I can't do anything without you, Jesus is saying. Everything you give me, I want to give back to you. Jesus is saying, I can't do anything without you. And everything you do for me, I want to give back to you. Revelation chapter four, the Bible says this, whenever the living beings give glory and honor and give thanks to the one seated on the throne, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne. And here's what they say. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our God, uh, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power forever. What they're doing is they have crowns and they're laying their crowns before God. The crowns that they've received, what did Jesus say? You are my glory. You are my glory. I want to see, I left glory, but glory is going to be enhanced because glory is nothing if I don't have it with those that I want to share it with. He came back so that he might show us his glory, that he wants to bring us to a place to be with him. Paul says this in Thessalonians. Paul says this, this question. He says, after all, what gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown or our glory in another words? He says, as we stand before the Lord Jesus when he returns, and here's what he says, it is you. What will be our crown and what will be our glory? It is you. That as we become that work that we reproduce. Can I tell you why marriage is under attack? Because as well, marriage is meant as on this earth. It is the sign of which God's work takes place that the way to produce life is through a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. And what God has set in place is that that is the opportunity through which life is produced. And how many know that God is the life giver? God is the one who creates life. So the enemy wants to destroy or mar the work that God has set in motion to give life. He wants to bring destruction because he wants to cause there to be a destruction upon the things that represent the glory of God. And I want you to know that's not just one agenda that's affected that. Marriage was not under attack because of recent laws. Marriage was under attack because of a divorce academic, epidemic that has taken place and because of, of difficulties that have hit the home. That's not a statement of judgment. That's a statement of fact. That's a statement of these are the realities of what we live in because we are a fallen people. We are a people that are under concern, that have need and have issues. That's why when we stand before God, we don't stand in confidence because of what we've done. We stand in confidence because of who Jesus Christ is, that that is our only hope and our only help and if you hear me say anything today of condemnation you're not hearing the heart of God because if you hear condemnation then what you're wanting is you're wanting to hear what you want to hear and if you don't hear what you want to hear then you call it something it's not when we don't hear what our itching ears want to hear we call it condemnation that's not condemnation that is righteousness spoken in truth and when the truth is spoken in love when you allow the truth of God's word to come in and to penetrate the difficult places it gets a hold of you sometimes my mama needed to slap me across the head sometimes I needed to have that hey 
quit living in your own world, doing your own thing, living the way you want, doing what you want to do. But we go to God, and whenever something confronts us in the way that we're living, in the way that we're acting, in the things that we're doing, we somehow, we call it condemnation. But Jesus already took that off the table. He said, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Raise your hand if you're in Christ Jesus this morning. Raise your hand if you're bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Then I want you to know this morning, there's no condemnation. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week.